Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It's improving a lot in Australia at the moment, but I still would say we have a little bit of a health crisis going on in terms of just the resources and the support for trans people to get care that they need, whether it's mental health support or actual medical hormonal support. Today I'm talking with a lovely friend of mine, Andrew Guy, who is a trans male that educates others on trans issues and advocacy. When I first met Andy more than 20 years ago, he was known as Anna. We both worked in tourism and whilst I knew Anna reasonably well, I had no idea the internal battle she was going through. Anna shared quite openly her journey of the emotional, physical and often psychological challenges that she faced through her transition to Andrew. I was in awe of the openness and bravery of someone to share something so personal, but it gave me such a deeper understanding of gender dysphoria, a feeling that you're living your life in the wrong body. Andrew is an actor and presenter and was recently in Stillpoint turning at Sydney Theatre Company. Andrew is a script advisor and advocate for trans representation in film, TV and radio and was a first transgender presenter on Channel 10's The Project. Andrew has spoken at many corporate functions on gender identity, diversity and inclusion, having received two successful nominations for Australia's LGBTI awards. This year, Andrew was invited to be a judge. Andy is incredibly approachable and a highly experienced speaker advocate, and I was thrilled when he agreed to come and chat to me about a topic that many of us need to understand more fully. Andrew, it is awesome to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Can't wait. We've had a little prelude to some fascinating conversations as always, and you and I always have such fun when we catch up. So really looking forward to our topic today. So if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I would have to say it's the conflict I see each day between gender roles at the moment. Interesting. Conflict of gender roles. Okay, so why is this a topic you're passionate about? Well, my name's Andrew. I'm a 41-year-old transgender male. So I was identified female at birth and in my lifetime have reconciled that I'm well and truly male. That's who I've generally mostly always been. And I've done a transition into myself now and I've sort of experienced life from, I don't want to say both sides because it's not really a binary, but I've, yeah, got some ideas on the different perspectives of gender, I guess. Yeah, I love that. And I think your view and aspect of that is going to be fascinating for us to chat through. So you and I met, we were trying to work out whether it was probably 25 years ago, perhaps. And I met you when you were Anna and I had no idea of what you were going through on a personal level and everything that, you know, you've then embarked on this amazing journey. And you were quite open about all the different elements and the things that you were grappling with, which I found fascinating and incredibly amazing for us to sort of have not known anyone to go through a transitional experience, that it was incredibly generous of you to share that because for me, it gave me so much more insight. You know, I've known a few and have a few people in my life that are 
trans, but I'd never met them before or known sort of the experience they'd gone through. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about that if you're okay. And I want to understand how old were you when you first kind of felt that maybe you didn't identify, didn't feel like a a girl? I mean, there's a couple of perspectives I have on this now from this point of view, but I would say I first started to question that when I was about five or six, just from that basic point of view of I'd see boys on TV and movies and, and not really from a point of view of wanting to aspire or was jealous of them, but I just felt like that was me. And then I probably carried that with me until high school when it was a bit, well, th- things changed for me in high school. So I felt like the way as a child and I had quite free li- liberal parents who were just sort of adjusted to that. I was wearing boys' clothes and just known as a tomboy, which was fine. And then, unfortunately, my mum was diagnosed with cancer when I was 10 and all through high school she fought that for 11 years and then passed away when I was 21. So my teenage years were quite challenged where I was dealing with this, I think, on a really deep level. But because of that family and lifestyle pressure, there wasn't really a lot of room for it to be front and centre with the parent who was quite ill. So kind of suppressed that again in my 20s and sort of focused on career as you do until I wouldn't say I had a mild nervous breakdown, but I was really struggling in my early 30s with my mental health and had to reconcile that, what that was and why it was, what was going on. And it took me a while to unpack it. But yeah, after a sort of eight year transition since then, I'm a lot more at peace with myself and really have learned a lot through the experience, as I said, both on what it's like living through life with a female image versus a male image and how I can kind of see both sides to a point of view right now. I think there's a lot of conflict in society of what, you know, what the different behaviours are of the different genders and how that's clashing against each other and how that we can resolve this quite simply, I think, but it just sort of takes people to see the other perspective a bit more. Yeah, I, mean, I would love to go back and ask a couple of questions and stuff, but let's talk about the main topic that you want to discuss. So obviously you have had both perspectives in life and looking at life through a different lens, which is rare, right? Like not a lot of us get that chance to to do that. So what is the key elements that are really perplexing you at the moment about like the gender kind of conflict or what's the kind of main thing that's kind of you know pissing you off if you use that term no it is pissing me off actually it's a perfect term I mean look I found that an experience of living through the world being quite young tall and thin with blonde hair was actually a lot easier than it is now as a shortish white male trying to navigate the world but I think that's also the time that we live in I just feel like women are quite rightly so needing to rise up to more power and autonomy and be the ones who are kind of leading the planet. I think that's important because I do believe that their intellect and their compassion is necessary for us to shift things globally. But I'm seeing now that on the other side, how men have been quite oppressed and repressed by this, which might frustrate people and go, oh, poor them. But it's like, no, there's actually a really deep insecurity that's driving, I think, a lot of the control and the, the lack of understanding. You know, if we, if we want to bring up something as simple as Grace Tame and the PM, like keeping politics and my personal views aside, I just see how there's a lot of anger and a lot of barriers and control really playing both sides and it's just going to take people to kind of let go of the fight and try and be a bit more compassionate to each point of view I think and it's so simple but it just takes a lot of self-reflection and work rather than coming out publicly spouting different things and trying to respond to things in ways that just isn't helping each other at all. So what are you seeing in that space so when you're saying you know in terms of male 
kind of suppression. And I think I think you're spot on. I mean, the the work that I've kind of done on myself over the years and, you know, kind of that deep reflection and really, you know, shadow work, I guess, is is kind of what they term it. It's identifying those elements that you're not you know, that you do bad shit or, you know, you're not your best self and stuff. And when you see someone hit out and be really quite aggressive or, you know, negative towards others, I always look at them and go, what's going on with you? <laughs> you know, there's something deep in here. It's around your insecurities. So I think, you, you know, you've nailed that for me in terms of the way some men are kind of retaliating. But what are the other kind of elements that you're seeing in that space and what do you think we should be doing about that? Whether we like it or not, there is a massive boys club and a massive girls club out there in existence right now. Like I, I know that because occasionally I try to connect with my female friends at work or whatever and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm not, I'm not part of that club anymore or that clique. And I trip myself up because I don't understand what, what the problem is and then I go, oh, that's right because they're viewing me as a <laughs> white male right now. <laughs> That's right. This is not my space. <laughs> what an amazing view, though. That's such a cool concept. I love it. My social faux pas are hysterical. Where it's like, oh, that's right. I need to back. This is not my space. Sorry. Because I just don't think of gender, I guess, as I was just saying before, where I wake up in the morning and I don't think of this transition or who I am anymore because I'm at peace. So it's like, you know, where's my coffee? Am I late? What am I doing this morning? What? Where's my car? Who am I catching up with? Like, I literally think nothing of it. But then I realised that a lot of people are obviously getting up in their role of male or female and that's who they are in their existence. But I just enjoy having transcended it. So I forget that I'm stepping into spaces where there's quite a gender construct that I have to adapt to, which is like, oh, if the girls are having a chat with a coffee, maybe don't necessarily go over because that might not be what they want right now. Or if the, you know, if the guys are sitting there and they're all at work, no one's talking, nobody wants to have a conversation. They're like, yeah, right. And I'm like, okay, they're just doing that. Like there's just little things. I'm like, these are people's gender roles playing out that I just forget that I have to fit into sometimes. So Andy, I'm interested then something you said around that, you know, you don't really feel kind of, I guess, the gender element. How does that work then? Because I've always had this kind of view around me having a, you know, past lives. And I've talked about it before. I wrote about it in the book. Everyone thinks I'm wacko, but I feel like I've been male more in my lifetimes than I've been females. So growing up, I did a lot of things that were not necessarily, you know, things that girls should do, you know, racing motorbikes and playing men's sports. And my dad was really supportive of that. So you're probably the only person I've ever heard kind of talk about that. And obviously your deep kind of feeling, understanding and knowing is on a whole different level to mine. So I'm intrigued to kind of hear about that more. It just fascinates me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, a bit like you, it depends how wacky I want to get or what, where my thinking is, but I'm pretty convinced at this point that I'm a soul twin. So as in that there's two parts of me that share this life and come in and out. So the body we chose was biologically female as science defines it. And I would say Anna, my twin, started it. I was sort of there in early teens. She did early 20s. Now I'm finishing off life. Because even though like I'm who I am now, I still feel like she's an echo. Like I don't really... F- even though I've had that experience and I can sort of use the same life skills, I don't see that's who I potentially am. So a bit the same. I'm, I'm wacky in that regard too, where we have a big through line of twins in my family and I'm, I'm fairly convinced, like, like the Indigenous cultures call it a twin spirit, where I'm a soul twin. I love that, Andy. I've never heard that yeah, before. Yeah, soul love it. twin. When you decided to transition, is that the correct term? I feel like I'm saying the wrong thing. For me it is, yeah. Some people 
have it as an identity, but for me it was a transition process. So, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, good. Thank you for clarifying. I'm very conscious of saying the wrong thing. So it's part of the challenge these days. I think, you know, I sort of try and gently kind of work my way through, read read and educate myself, but I'm also conscious that everyone has a, a different view on stuff. And so, you know, you need to probably navigate it and ensure check in with people that you aren't offending accidentally. So no, that's kind of a, yeah, a lot of people don't read, so that's really kind of you to do that. Yeah, I mean, more and more people are becoming, you know, like in terms of actually actors and famous people and there is an increase of seeing, you know, trans people in everyday kind of life a little bit more. So how have you found that in the last, how long has it been now? Is it 10 years? Yeah, I started my transition in 2010 and sort of finished it, well, I would say finished it in terms of medical side anyway, in 17, I think it's, probably a process that lasts a lifetime like all of us in life going through our different journeys but yeah look I think the representation can only help I I think the point is that it's always been in existence like I said the indigenous cultures whether it be in America or Australia they have a lot of stories and understanding of this from so many years ago I, I found in my reading when I was looking at it that I think it's just sort of modern society catching up and not sort of shunting this topic to the side because it's misunderstood but people are like you just said like yourself but being really gracious and wanting to learn and understand more so it's therefore more accepted and the permission is there for the awareness and the exposure to be around and actually to your point this is perfect timing on the 31st of march it's the it's transgender day of visibility each year so we're two days out yeah cool it is i think it can only help and i think probably the the, the great thing about kids these days who are identifying as gender fluid or understanding themselves not as just one construct of one gender irrespective of their their body makeup that it's kind of i don't want to say common or normal because it's not quite right but it's not abnormal if that makes sense or there's less stigma to it because we've got more people out and about just living their lives as who they are actually i read somewhere around the actual percentage of the population is a lot higher than people realize it's is it like 1.7 percent or something oh, i'd have to pull up one of my presentations but in our talks that we do when we do sort of consulting to other corporates or arts groups it's it's generally it's around the same percentage as redheads red yeah that's what <laughs> yeah, i've heard so and that's it right you can see like lots of people with red hair and so that's something that's visual and yeah fascinating and one of the things that was really troubling for me was the survey i think of more than thirty thousand trans people found that more than 40 percent had tried or or considered suicide and you know that was eight times higher than the general population which is horrific the interesting thing for me as well is around people would have oh yeah well that's because the hormones they're going through or you know they're not happy with their lives or whatever but it's actually what the research was saying it was more around the bullying and the bad treatment and the way that trans people have been treated in society so I mean, you've always been such a beautiful person and a really interesting person. So for me, the transition was never, I never considered it, but I know I'm probably unique in that regard. You've gone through life as well, so you're open-minded and understand it's not just as black and white as I think is the living next to the Joneses or the Smiths makes out, but that is a lot of the problem. I mean, it's improving a lot in Australia at the moment, but I still would say we have a little bit of a health crisis going on in terms of just the resources and the support for trans people to get care that they need, whether it's mental health support or actual medical hormonal support, like you say as well. I mean, that's quite a shallow judgment view for people to say it's their hormones, it's making them that. It's it's no, it is not that at all. The biggest thing, like you just said, is that that acceptance, like if, if you've gone through such depth to know that this is who you are and you know, you fought all your personal demons because I swear to God, whatever harassment or projection we get from outside, we've done it to ourselves for the longest because we've been fighting internally the longest. So then to have yourself sort of, I guess, say who you are and come out in the world 
to then have everybody either disown you or disagree or give a really shallow opinion, it, it does, it leaves you completely bereft as if to say, well, I've got no hope, I've got no support, you know, what am I doing here? And it really questions that. I, I went through that. I, I absolutely questioned that and had a mental health problem for about a year in terms of just a tendency, right, I didn't want to be here. How old were you then? This would have been in my adult years, sort of late 20s, early 30s. when I. But before you transitioned? And throughout it when, yeah, there was... Yeah, as I said, the medical profession isn't always the best at helping. I think that can probably be a generalisation with a lot of illnesses. I don't think doctors are always the best at not being judgmental or critical. But, yeah, there's a lot of more education, I think, that needs to go to the medical profession to deal with how to work with trans patients. It is improving, but it's not great still, all the way through to the fact that Medicare doesn't even really recognise a lot of trans procedures or healthcare still at this point in Australia. Yeah, you said like the seven years that you went through, that would have been an incredible cost, I imagine. It is, yeah. There's there's the physical and the emotional cost. But I mean, look, a lot of people, if they've got that acceptance and that love and that appreciation and, and kind of it's the affirmation as well, like if you're seeing yourself as something and all of a sudden you have life telling you no, you're not getting that affirmation or that truth of yourself reflected, which we kind of all get up and do it each day. But when you get that, that's generally what I think sustains. If they're heard, they're affirmed and they're supported and loved, that would basically write off the suicide issue a lot more, I'd I'd say, which just comes through greater education, understanding and not doing things like barring people from schools and things like that for their identity, which I think as a society we're really pushing through and you know really helping the community with oh definitely and I think you know you've touched on a few things there that you know again I'd sort of read and heard about and there's some great podcasts out about transitioning and also from different people because everyone's experience is different it's like you know I've had a cancer journey my cancer journey is very different to other people's and it's not dissimilar I imagine in that regard but I would really encourage people to kind of learn about this more and like everything, the more understanding we have and the more empathy, but also getting some sort of insight into what you have gone through and go through, Andy. I think that's a thing that I'm just like, bloody hell, you know, we need to be kinder in the world. And, you know, there are so many areas that we could improve on. But one of the things I was curious about is, you know, when you talked about you being five or six, if there's people listening that do have children that, you know, I've got a mate, actually, you know, the person as well, but I won't say who it is. And her daughter has always identified and said, well, well, no, I want to be a boy. And I feel like a boy right from yeah five or six. And my friends really grappled with that around how to navigate it. Will she grow out of this? Is it just a phase? Because that's, you know, what a lot of people say, you know, oh, it's just a phase, including some doctors, interestingly. But what's your advice on how to navigate that space? And from someone who felt that at a very young age and how you you kind of worked it through or what you'd recommend for someone to do differently or what you would have liked to have done? It's a really good question. I don't think there's one single answer. The main thing I think is really just to listen and not disagree, if that makes sense, like just to sort of hear and understand your child and within the boundaries that you give your child to live. Like, as I said, my parents, I think, were great my mum was fantastic she listened and it was I mean I'd almost have tantrums if I wasn't listened to so maybe depends on the perspective you look at it from maybe I was a spoiled brat but I was able to wear boys clothes I was able to do all the the boys things I needed to like I was getting that affirmation daily and that part of me soothed as a child and then when going to school because it wasn't all girls school there wasn't any gender different so I just felt like I was just wearing a uniform it wasn't like a dress or a tunic, if that makes sense. So on some level, I was kind of protected from my dysphoria because I didn't have the gender difference there to grapple with each day, which I think in co-ed schools people probably do, particularly if you're 
feeling like you're that other gender, but that other gender is telling you you're not that and nobody else is supporting you with that. That's a really interesting point, actually. Like I'd never thought of it that way, yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually how I was able to survive it because people were like, well, how did you survive in an all-girls school? I'm like, well, probably because there was no gender in it. Like we weren't girls each day. We were just there doing the work and it was about what we were doing. So, And the school is still like that. They teach mechanics now and all sorts of things. But back to your question, I think kids, I think it's just really listening and giving them the space to explore it in a safe way that isn't going to trigger yourself as a parent too much. Because I do know I've got some parents, friends who have got trans kids and like, even though they feel that way, they've come through their teenage years and they're quite happy still just to be, they they don't need any hormones. You know, they probably have mental health practitioners, but they're quite happy living their existence, knowing they're trans and being accepted by the GLBTI community without needing medical intervention because they're just given that support to know and just be told that's okay that who you are yeah actually and i think that's a really interesting point that again i'd sort of read and heard about was you know there are multiple ways to you know be trans as well and like everyone always thinks oh you've got to have operations and change your body but yeah i think that's a beautiful point that you know at least and i think that was sort of some of the advice around parents with kids to say well you know you could there are different levels and there are different stages and you could allow your kids like what's it going to hurt if they just cut their hair off and wear, you know, alternative clothing? Like is that really going to rock the world, <laughs> you know, just to let them kind of express themselves as they feel comfortable in their bodies? And that was a really good point. My parents always had that issue of well, just make sure you work hard and dress right and don't have tattoos because otherwise you won't get employed and all that sort of stuff back in the 80s. But I think nowadays if you turn up too straighty 180, that actually works against you. So I think, I think the more you can be yourself, which is a beautiful thing for Australia when you look at the state of the world some days, that we actually are quite a liberally accepting country. We've just got these big pockets, I think, of stigmas that, or, you know, whether it's the gender role issue that or just you know, an evolved society that just probably has to keep working on themselves because I think we're, we're getting there really in a, a good way. Mm, totally agree. So are there any other considerations or things that you would like to say to people listening? I mean, I'm curious about if there's anything that you, are in this journey you've sort of been on for 20 years, like if there's anything that you would do differently? It's a really good question. I mean, I personally, I can admit that I think I still have quite a few trigger points or there's a lot of emotional work I'm still going through because I've, I've reconciled this as an adult as opposed to maybe in my early teens if my mum hadn't have been sick. Like I think if life had been differently and that wasn't the priority and I would have had potentially more space in the family to express who I was as a teenager and didn't have to shut it down, that might have meant I possibly would have done this a bit healthier and not had as many mental health issues. So... Probably that, but then again, life's given me the lessons I have to make me who I am today and I quite love who I am today, so maybe that's just the way it had to be. I think about it a bit, but I'm not sure I would change it even though it might have been easier if I could change it. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's interesting. It was more just sort of from learnings if there are people listening to kind of go, okay, this is some good things for others to consider. And are there particular resources that you would recommend? I know yourself, you do speaking, you know, in education talks and pieces for people. Where can people go for more information from your sort of side? What, what's your view? Yeah, I would say the main spot at the moment because it's getting a lot of funding as well as uh, the ACON Transgender Health Hub. So there, there's a whole department within ACON now, even though that obviously still has a agenda to help gay men and the AIDS crisis. But I think that's really evolved now. And there's a whole team of transgender employees there that are working really hard and doing a whole lot of advocacy work and they're the ones in parliament fighting for better health care and you know all these other things that are going on but there's a really great 
online health hub, which has everything from parents for questions to medical questions to community groups to just how you can, I guess, live authentically in a nice way. So I'd suggest there's a good place to start. Beautiful. I'll put that in the show notes. So that's wonderful. Andy, it's been so lovely to chat to you today and understand more of your journey even further than what I have to date. And you're so gracious and just such an interesting human. So thanks for being on the show and having a chat to me. Thank you. And vice versa. I think you are too with this podcast. It's really lovely to have it so you can start with a question and just go into it where it goes. So it's lovely as well. Yeah. Well, talking about gender and issues and stuff is so important. And right back to, you know, where we started at the um, start of the conversation, there's a lot of work to do. And I just can't help but feel that it truly is about us having conversations like this. And so, you know, if you have someone that you oppose or that you have a completely different view on, my take is actually just have a conversation with them, but have it in the sense of you don't have to be right. And to put that forward, it's like, you know, okay, men and women arguing about particular topics. It's actually have a conversation where you're open to listening to hear their view and then that can start to change things and we can live more harmoniously together, right? Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, particularly with trans people, it's like, I mean, everybody has their YouTube channel. But that aside, like, I don't know any trans person that if you wanted to approach them to get to know them or have a chat, like, we crave human acceptance, I think, a lot more because we're so marginalised. So just to have people interested is really a lovely thing, so you shouldn't be shied away from at all. So lovely. I hope to see you soon again in person and give you a big hug. Thanks for inviting me on, I should say. Yeah. It's been lovely to be part of this. Thanks, Andy. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.